I don't understand in the year of 2020 of our Lord why it's just almost impossible to have decent internet at home. It's just impossible. Of course, I don't know. With the way 2020 is going, maybe it's exactly what's supposed to be happening. You do, though, admittedly live in sort of a rural part of Nashville, right, Reed? I don't know that I'd call it rural, but I mean, seriously, we have a brand new elementary and middle school like in our neighborhood. Like We're not on the farm like I was in Texas, but I do think it's somewhat impacted by everyone working from home. Maybe it's related to that 5G and coronavirus tie. Maybe the murder hornets have eaten through the fiber. Welcome to Touchpoint a podcast dedicated to discussions on digital marketing and patient engagement strategies for hospitals, health systems, and physician practices. In this podcast, we'll dive deep into digital tools, solutions, and strategies that are impacting our industry today. We hope to share a lot of great information with you and have fun along the way. Thanks for joining us. Now, here are your hosts. Welcome back to Touchpoint. I said it right this time. I didn't say the episode number and then welcome back. So, um... This is, however, episode 174 of Touchpoint, and we, as always, appreciate your listenership. We, of course, being Chris Boyer and Reed Smith. Hey, Reed, welcome from uh, what it feels like war-torn Minneapolis today. Those that certainly know, we, we do this weekly, if you listen on a regular basis, and we usually record weekly. The uh, Everything that's gone over or gone on the last several days, certainly it's interesting times, sad times. Sure is. We're here to talk about the ever important hospital marketing. So here we go. Okay. <laughs> we do appreciate, you know, there's a lot of ways you can spend your time, certainly. Uh, there's a lot of information and news and noise and everything else out there. We appreciate you spending at least a little bit with us. 174 episodes is a lot and uh, we wouldn't still be doing it unless uh, you found value or were listening. So we certainly appreciate that. There is more than just this show though. However, uh, you can learn more about, of course, anything you hear today, the links and all that kind of good stuff, as well as all the other shows on the Touchpoint Network over at touchpoint.health. Chris and I were just talking about how successful, if you will, the month of May was for us from a listenership standpoint. We've had more listeners than we've ever had in a given month. Quite honestly, probably twice as many as we had a year ago. So that says a lot, and it says a lot about the content that's being created, the hosts that are on the network, and so we'd love for you to go check out some of those shows. Let's take a quick pause, and we'll be right back after the break with uh, today's episode. Chris, in today's digital age, your online reputation, as we all know, is crucial. With customers relying on online reviews, your first impression is also compared directly with your competitors. Sure is. And Reed, consider this. 86% of patients today read online reviews and 73% demand that that healthcare provider has a minimum four-star rating. Demand. They demand it. Yeah, they do. Well, to stand out, choose Reputation to help amplify your brand and to build trust. Be the provider of choice in your area, understand patient sentiment, get actionable insights, and even foster patient loyalty. And look, here's the easy way you could do that. All you need to do is go visit reputation.com slash touchpoint. That's reputation.com slash touchpoint, where you can download their healthcare online reputation management guide and build a reputation 
that performs for you. So today, Reed, we're going to be talking about healthcare leadership. Recently, I had a conversation on another podcast that we do, the New Normal podcast, with a good friend of ours, Jackie Martin, who's been on this show before. Jackie's great. I would say fellow Texan, but I don't live there anymore. She's awesome. Super, super smart. So I you know, recommend anything she puts out, whether it's on our show or otherwise, be sure to check it out. That's right. And in that interview that we were talking about leadership in healthcare, and she very boldly, almost edgy, said leadership within the marketing suite in hospitals and health systems has to dramatically change. And I have to say, when she said it, I kind of agreed with her. Uh, There's some nuances that certainly, but I think from a broad standpoint, I would say in my mind, when I hear that, I immediately go back to What we've said a lot of times, which is the historical use and kind of position of the marketing communications department, quite honestly, was as the advertising department. If you went back to the traditional kind of four P's of of marketing, we weren't doing any of those except for the promotion P. You talk about leadership, I think some of there's got to be a space for us to actually participate in the other three P's. And, you know, some of that onus is probably on us as marketers to show enough value there that you get to participate in the other three Ps? The other thing too, I don't want to pick on marketing people alone. I think that in general, in our, in my experience working within hospitals and health systems, there are sometimes there are areas, pockets within the organization and broad where the leadership maybe is a little stagnant, maybe is having trouble kind of seeing the forest for the trees, so to speak. And, and it becomes important every so often for us to kind of look at and understand some of the trends in leadership that are going on, maybe even reinforce some and highlight some of those examples, particularly now when we're in a world where things are changing rapidly, right? The coronavirus has done a lot of things to transform our industry. And in this particular case, you know, I think that leadership has to be kind of aware of that and be able to be nimble to adjust to those changes. I think so. And I think something like this has brought us to a place where, and I don't want to make it I don't want to be overly dramatic about this, but I do feel like at least in a lot of organizations, you know, marketing specifically, it was a nice to have, but not a must have. Like that wasn't part of running the organization. It just felt like a lot of cases that like the marketing folks, it was like, yeah, this is neat. I'm glad we have these guys. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like it was, yeah. glad, y'all, glad y'all are here. You know, you just... Just bring a ray of sunshine to the room. You know, it wasn't a real integral day-to-day part of running the hospital. You know, you weren't in those meetings in most cases. It, it seemed like at least. Now, with, with stuff like COVID, certainly it's like you're in it 24-7. And so I think it shifted the perception of how we participate and really what our role is within the organization. You know, I thought it might be good for us to first, when we talk about leadership, is maybe pull out a, a use case, an example of where leadership in general has responded to the crisis. Because as you know, in the, in when, when this all came upon us in March, it was a novel coronavirus. The health systems did not know how to respond to it. And I found a very interesting use case that highlights some of the characteristics of leadership through that unparalleled, unprecedented change. An, an article on the Wharton University of Pennsylvania site 
And it was about the New York City's public health care system and how they responded to coronavirus. It kind of hones in and focuses on the March-April time frame and what that landscape looked like in New York City and the ability of the hospitals, uh, the healthcare system as a whole, their ability to create, you know, all these additional ICU beds and, you know, how they took care of thousands of patients. It seemed like what was all of these, all of a sudden happened. Everybody is scrambling around. And when you think about it in hindsight right now, as we sit here at the beginning of June, that probably reflected one of the worst outbreaks in the, in the country because it was just so dramatic how quickly it happened. This piece was sort of a, a, a documentation of how leadership in action, how they responded to this. And one of the things that's most important is they said that they were able to flex to meet the challenge through a remarkable orchestration of teamwork and a four-pronged approach that leadership took with the central goal of holding a team together despite all of this craziness that was happening around them. The first thing that they really did, and this is something obviously that is, that is going to sound familiar, certainly, uh, to marketers uh, and communicators for that matter, but is developing a call to action. Emergency management programs aim to reduce vulnerability to hazards and cope with disasters, whether they are natural, intentional, or man-made. They're trying to reduce the chances that something bad happens to them and they're able to, you know, actually flex to your point uh, with these different disasters. And so they activated an instant command center and management systems designed to, to bring together all of these stakeholders. They wanted to try to marry up the resources and, and uh, you know, delineate the responsibilities clearly so people knew what they were being asked to do. So anywhere from procuring more supplies to taking inventory of the current stockpile to standing up, you know, alternate care sites, et cetera. This isn't atypical, right? In fact, every major health system that I've talked to since this pandemic has hit, they've developed that response center and they developed critical calls to action. What is interesting is the second piece that they, they highlighted here is something called call and response. Call and response actually originates from an African culture, a widespread pattern of, as the article says, democratic participation in public gatherings and discussion of civic affairs, religious rituals, or as well as like in vocal and instrumental musical expression. They actually used this model in the healthcare system, and they modified it to be a simple technique to kind of guide, nurture, and hold these teams responsible. So it started off by every day for three months. They did the team briefings. Now, we're familiar with those too, right? The morning huddles, that mm -hmm, sort of thing, mm -hmm. to ascertain the needs. But really what they were looking at was the needs of the entire healthcare system across multiple locations. They developed a system-wide report that started to focus on trends. And those trends would report on a variety of different things. The whole point of this is the report would be the call and then the response would be on these daily huddles of things that might be missing, might, there might be lacks. So facilities in dire need would call out for help, and the response was there. They were able to address like supply chain, government affairs, public communication, a variety of other things. And if there was an immediate solution, they made sure that it would be addressed within the next day. That sounds pretty novel, right? A novel approach. It does. Um, I think that makes a, a lot of sense. It kind of takes us to this third prong of the four prong, it's a four pronger approach, scaling up through coordination, 
Pages benefited when we function as an integral system, whether it was moving staff or stuff, they said, to where patients were or drawing upon collective clinical expertise. So I think this is interesting seeing this idea of these systems, you know, working together, certainly, where uh, historically that was, you know, I don't want to say it wasn't the case, but if you look at their marketing, it, they would probably just assume you come to their shop versus somebody else in town. You know, there's local competition and that's real. It is particularly important to stand up channels to rapidly share information across hospital sites. Wow, that's novel. Because <laughs> I currently have to fill out the same thing every time I... Anyway, <laughs> we can't share it within the same system, much less across hospital sites in most cases. This really shows that, you know, it's like how long we've been trying to stand up telemedicine in these different places. And it's like, well, you know, it's really hard. And yeah, you just can't. It's not that simple. You just can't do it quite that simple. Well, apparently it is because we just did it and we did it really fast. And again, I know there's a lot of nuances to that. I don't want to like oversimplify the scenario, but they also talk about in some cases that this drew upon existing meetings and structure. So expanding them to multiple hospitals instead of just having like the stand-up meeting, as I think we mentioned earlier, uh, in the ICU that takes on a, a different view across multiple organizations. And this also, they said, allows the ability to test quickly uh, different solutions at one location uh, and then scale them across an entire system uh, or I guess the city. Uh, the partnership with uh, the municipal government was another strength in this respect because of the resources that they needed. The fourth thing, was, which is really interesting, is this concept of new power. Have you ever heard about that, Reed, new power? Was that late 80s R&D? <laughs> I don't remember. Oh, no, that was New Edition. Sorry, New Edition. <laughs> new Power is actually a concept that was coined by uh, two people named Jeremy Hymans and Henry Timms. They indicate that it's it's more of an open, participatory, and peer-driven approach to addressing things. It's really democratizing power into the entire organization so that whenever there is a need, you're empowered to actually solve that need. They basically empowered the entire health system teams. So each member of the team and had the agency to reinvent their role depending on the needs that were presented of that day. Of course, there was governance, but the governance is more networked. And they had the ability to very quickly connect with other people and make decisions and changes to workflows, processes, etc. on the fly as needed. And this kind of resulted in some of the, the various different things that you, you heard about in New York, like the need for developing a field hospital in the middle of Central Park that kind of came out of this concept. Alternative sites were screened, secured, new hospitals were established, et cetera, to really address this. And they coordinated very closely with military and government. And what it really did is it actually taught the organization that they can be empowered, which is a big shift in hospitals and health systems to sort of take away patriarchal approach to decision making and democratize it across everybody on the front line. Those four things together, those four areas that we just covered, really allow them to respond in a significant way to this influx of the coronavirus pandemic. It's a fascinating case study. You know, after the break, we're going to come back and talk a little bit about what actually, you know, what factors actually make exceptional leaders, which I think is uh, what allow you to do something like this, right? And so without exceptional leaders, you know, what we just talked about probably is not possible. I know it's not possible. So let's take a, a brief pause right here and we'll be back. Coming soon from Greystone, Bowstring and Touchpoint Media, 
live from HCIC, a new podcast that brings you front row access to the latest innovative strategies that are shaping tomorrow's healthcare industry. In this 12-part series, as recorded live at the Healthcare Internet Conference, we'll hear from industry experts such as Paul Madsen of the Cleveland Clinic, Kathy Smith of Roper St. Francis Healthcare, David Feinberg from Mount Sinai Health System, Rose Glenn from Michigan Medicine, and many others. Subscribe now on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or your favorite podcasting platform. This podcast series is brought to you by Greystone.net, Bowstring, and Touchpoint Media. So before the break, we were sharing a case study about the New York hospital system and how they responded to the coronavirus impact. It's a great, compelling case study. Embedded in that case study was the sense of exceptional leadership, the ability to respond to changes in your everyday lives, in your everyday work, and be able to pivot and make those changes very quickly. So Reed, you and I found an article on a, a website that I don't think I've ever been to before called strategybusiness.com. Have you ever been there before? I have not. might be important for us to both learn about strategy and business, so <laughs> we might want to bookmark that for later. But they had an article here called The Four X Factors for Exceptional Leaders. Oh, the, the infamous X Factor. Oh, love the X Factor. Isn't that a singing competition or something? Or <laughs> it a... used to be, yeah. Okay, all right. It's like, did I just imagine that? Anyway, but the whole point of the article is, is uh, as they put it, to understand what makes a great leader, You know, what, what differentiates a great leader from just a good leader, for example, and uh, what will help companies make the right choices for those said top roles. They say traditionally, when we look at senior leadership in hospitals, assessment and development often fall short in two distinct ways. The first lies in what they call granularity, measuring a sort of a list of highly specific competencies of what makes a good leader. And that's probably based on what good leaders were before. And then use that list as a way to assess future candidates for the organization. Not that that's bad, but you can get into kind of a rub if you look at what you know leadership was before, particularly in changing times. And given the pace of change today, that might have a limited relevance on what future requirements are. And you may be missing out on what potentially could be a, a trait for a leader of the future. Historically, I guess, we looked at senior leadership and, and that assessment process really in a couple of areas. Uh, so the first being where you would actually look at a long list of uh, highly specific competencies that creates some idea of validity. Like, does is this person a good fit? The second failure point that they talk about is a disproportionate focus on skills that should be table stakes. <laughs> and it's funny because I see all of these as people's like little call out on LinkedIn, having a strategic mindset. Ooh. <laughs> or delivering P&L performance, uh, having a boardroom presence. You know, it's like, well, right, that's all part of the job. I get what they're saying. Like, these are all table stakes. Like, you should already be able to do this stuff if we're going to hire you to do the thing because that's part of the job. Again, we look at the historical success and then we make a bigger deal out of what should be table stakes, I guess. And it overlooks really those X factors, the ability for that senior leadership to win a singing competition on TV. 
which would be the second time we've mentioned the X Factor. <laughs> but no, seriously, this organization that created this uh, re- report, they actually analyzed data on 2,500 leaders. And they did identify four X Factors that distinguished them great leaders from those that are just, you know, the common, what you need to be as a leader. So why don't we go through those, Reed? And spoiler alert, none of them involve singing. Well, they could. You don't know. Uh, No, the first one they talk about is great leaders have the ability to simplify complexity and operationalize it. The typical leader can process vast amounts of data and complexity, often on the fly. And so the ability to deal with that, the ambiguity of it, and having what they call, quote unquote, learning agility have become standard language and executive assessments. So, and they talk about, which I think this is an interesting call out here, simple, but not simplistic. The best leaders create to strive clarity on the problems their businesses strategy seeks to solve, emphasize the reasons for the organization's uniquely positioned to address those challenges, and they offer simple plan for winning create a very simple statement that's almost like a vision statement. I've seen that before. But there's a second side to this, a second piece of that, read, which is operationalizing complexity. That is not only creating up that vision, but create a simple plan to and drive clarity on the problem set that really is one that you could take forward as a business, a narrative and a perspective for what the future state is. And usually that's, here, here's a business term, here's a leadership term for you, that's creating one or two simple frameworks for how the company will carry out its strategy. Yeah, I'd rather just talk about it. I don't really want to get into the whole like doing it part of the equation. That seems <laughs> a lot harder. I mean, obviously, it's it's one of those, you know, you've always heard like people that are really good copywriters don't use six words if three will do. It's almost harder at times. Well, it is hard to, you know, distill down, make things simple, clear, and then being able to operationalize it, I think, is a whole nother, a whole nother piece of that. And, and the ones that can do it well, obviously, are the ones we've all heard of and have succeeded. The second point they they have here is that they uh, drive ambition for the whole enterprise. So they talk about the the ability to step outside of one silo and think across the enterprise means overcoming two fundamental human drivers, tribalism and security that comes from navigating the area uh, that, that is well known. If you think about this, people are much more comfortable staying in their lane and subject matter expertise and things like that. That's a tough one, right? They also talk about the, the ability or achieving enterprise level thinking requires enough self-awareness to understand these impulses and enough self-discipline to overcome them. This is where you, you hear about people that have, sur- quote unquote, surrounded themselves with the right people. Well, it's also people that have humility as a leadership to say, you know, look, I am very biased sitting in my silo. They look at, which pivots to the third point here, uh, they look at the team dynamics. The third point they point out in this article is good, successful X-Factor leaders play well on teams that they don't lead. They can start conversations with teams on with certain questions. They don't have to be the alpha male, so to speak, of every meeting. They ask about like, how can we accelerate the strategy? What are some priorities we could tackle? They actually act as part of the team, not as the de facto leader, so to speak. And in addition, the most effective executives emphasize the importance of leadership on the individual and collective level. So what they do is they focus their contributions on the overall team success 
not basically on themselves as being successful or their project being successful. Makes a ton of sense. And I mean, that kind of flows right into this fourth point is, uh, you know, great leaders build other leaders. You know, they talk about this idea that executives fall into one of two camps. It's pretty common, right? Is one, one sees people that work for them as assets to advance their own careers, I guess, or their own agendas or however you want to frame that. And the other is, uh, you know, great, which would be great leaders, sees the potential of their employees and takes that ownership and responsibility to develop them. Um, and so, you know, they're talking about this, this idea that a track record of grooming multiple executive leaders is an often overlooked measure of authentic leadership. And so, again, kind of back to what you were talking about earlier, but when you're looking at hiring the next C-suite person, it's almost like the coaching tree. You hear about the Nick Saban coaching tree or the Bill Belichick coaching tree, and they talk about all these other successful head coaches that used to be an assistant coach for them. That, in essence, really just kind of bolsters like how good of a coach they are Yeah. versus yeah. them trying to like keep these assistant coaches forever because they want to win more ball games, they let them go and be head coaches elsewhere. That's the first thing I thought of when I read this was, you know, it reflects on them even in that, in that regard. As I think about these four X factors, right. And all of these things pulled together, it's very clear that within hospitals and health systems, regardless of where you're at in the marketing department, or maybe you're in the clinical lead of the organization or the president or what have you, it's very important to, to develop these factors and hone and, and harness these factors. Because quite frankly, there's many people where you, you show up at the meeting and they're like, look, I know what I'm doing. I've been the doctor you know, in charge of cardiac surgery for all of this time. I know how to build my service line. Those people are tending to not be successful as we move forward and particularly read as we see things change and we see our organizations that are going to go undergo dramatic changes, dramatic stresses because of this pandemic, financial stress and employment stress and changes in the, in the patient behavior and everything that's going forward. You know, it's very important for us as leaders within health systems to look at things a little bit differently. Over the next weeks and months, and certainly year or two, you know, we will continue to see the need for uh, the tactical best practice type webinars and presentations and things like that at conferences. But kind of to build off what you're saying a little bit, I, I think we'll kind of continue to go down this track of leadership. You know, how, how does marketing become a bigger piece of the overall equation of, you know, how healthcare is made better? What that looks like within different organizations, I think, you know, is kind of to be determined. We'll continue to see a lot of that evolve, certainly. Well, with that, I think this is a good point in the podcast where we can uh, take a pause. And when we come back, we'll feature an interview I did with a gentleman who's been on the show before, Rodney Ryder. He and I had a chance to actually talk. And interestingly enough, Reed, this was prior to the pandemic. This was back in February. So we're pulling an interview out that's a couple of months old. But I'm going to tell you, we had a good conversation about some of the perspectives he's seen of leadership within hospitals and health systems, and it still resonates here today. And he'll share some of his experience where he's seen even clinical teams coming into a leadership role and how they have changed and started to transform health systems.
Welcome back to the Ask the Experts section of the podcast. And today I have a repeat interview with someone that uh, we chatted. I, it must have been, what, six, eight months ago, Rodney? Is that right? That's, yes, that's correct, Chris. At the time, I said I would love to have you back to talk about other things that are related to healthcare. And so today, that time has come. And so, Rodney, welcome to the show. Fantastic. Thank you. I've been looking forward to reconnecting with you and being able to talk to you and your audience. So thank you. Would you mind uh, just sharing a brief background for people that may not remember the last interview we had or may not know who you are? Share them a little bit about yourself, your background and your experience. I've been working in healthcare for, gosh, 25 plus years. I've had a chance to look at it from many different angles from both the clinic side, starting out working in orthopedic clinic to to running hospitals and health systems, working in both the for-profit and not-for-profit. And more recently, I've been working with the VCs on innovation side and then doing a lot of consulting with both the payers and, and the providers, as well as the, some of these startups themselves as they look to see how they can branch into healthcare overall in a more substantial way or from overseas. And wonderful people that are coming into the industry, which is some of what we're going to get into, mm-hmm. that haven't been in the traditional methodology before, traditional pattern of how you work up and, and they're coming into it now from other angles and provide incredible insights. It is true indeed that working within a healthcare system is unique. There are some unique challenges and unique things that you have to know to navigate it successfully. What I've seen, seeing that leadership is changing dramatically and it's, it's, it seems to be accelerating more and more recently. In your experience, how do you see uh, leadership changing within health systems? Well, in the past, we had the traditional mindset of you were department director, you came into finance, and you worked your way up, and you had a greater responsibility, more departments, and you would go from the, you know, uh, an operational role to the vice president of operations, and then maybe a COO at a smaller hospital, and you'd get even a, maybe even a smaller hospital from there to be a CEO, and then you start making your track to a larger hospital. A great way to go, and, and great tradition, and you understand the business, but with all of these other influxes now coming into our, our world, our space of, of hospitals not being the center, but all these other options you know, from optimizing buying physician practices to these innovative companies coming in and, and taking niches away from the hospitals themselves, it really is incredibly beneficial to have people with a, a different point of view now coming in from other industries. They may not know all the, the jargon on, at the time, but with some of these other ideas coming into our industry from the digital side from the, all the non-traditional areas, mm-hmm. you need people to understand that as well. So there's people coming in and joining us to be able to, to understand the landscape even better, I think provides a great asset to us as, as healthcare providers. So uh, you said it earlier, but all the changes going on, the traditional track for being a, an administrator on up does not allow you that perspective. And so having these other people come in really supplements your way of looking at the world, which is badly needed today to see what's going on. Not only what's going on change right now, but being able to position yourself for the future for those additional changes. And you can't know everything. And so you've got to bring in people that have these other perspectives that, and incredible intelligence. A lot of the impetus around this need for new perspectives and, and new leadership is because the industry itself, as we, as we mentioned, is going through this dramatic change. And much of that is digital in nature. We've talked a lot on the show about digital consumerism and the, the impacts of the, the patients and the consumers interacting with the health systems are changing. And so we need to address that. And then the, on the other side, I, I see a lot of push for uh, a 
developing a more of a service-oriented model. And so that's why we're attracting people from like Ritz-Carlton and Disney and others. Is that fair to say that those are maybe the two major uh, influxes into our space? There, yeah, that, that really is a, a good way of saying it. Those are key areas. And you said the patient side. So the mm-hmm. not just meeting consumer demand from the technological side, but even what their expectations are when they come in. If you look at other industries, how they're, as, as we've said many times, there's instant access and, in and in, you know, from Amazon to others. Mm-hmm. And they're so well known in terms of what their tendencies are, their decision-making, but we in healthcare don't have that same perspective of our patients. Mm-hmm. Learning, we're getting better, but we need that technology to help us to get that information, that data, so we can make sure we're doing the right thing by our patients every time, even before they arrive at our, at our offices and our, our hospitals. But at the same time, we don't always have the people internally that can look at and understand or pull that data. So that technological advancement helps us. The gentleman that was in the investor industry and so very advanced in technology, wanted to have a second career, desired to give back, steps in, becomes a nurse, and now he's moved up into a management level. Imagine mm-hmm. his perspective on both being able to provide the care, but understand the technology behind you know, what a patient can expect, what trends are, what the financials are, things like that. So they offer a lot more to us now than, like I said, the traditional role. Another individual I was speaking with, a parole officer, had been a police officer, parole officer, hmm. wanted to give back. She was a young mother and, and had twins and lost one of the babies in the ICU. And the people were so caring and giving to her that 20 years later, when she retired from her industry, she wanted to come back and give back. So you've got that heart side still. They come back for the right reasons. But you've got that incredible technological advancement from their industry, the learning they had, and even the patient and the customer interaction that they can step in and, and offer a different perspective. And, and it provides that better care that goes along with the different technology we're offering. As you describe this, I see a lot of the benefits of bringing in people from outside the industry. But there is also this sort of balance that we need to we need to strike because many of them are just new this is their first job in the healthcare industry and they're coming in a leadership role how do you see organizations kind of balancing the ability of bringing in that new ideas those new insights but also honoring sort of the legacy knowledge and understanding of a healthcare system that's key coming as a leader 95% of the time we as leaders should be listening and by going out asking the questions doing your rounds doing your listening sessions spending time at, at lunch and dinner and, and all the things you want to do to meet with the people, maybe not even sharing your title sometimes, you're the, the secret shopper. Mm-hmm. As you're doing that, you're getting a feel for the organization and what they think is important. That really is your job as a leader to understand that culture and to say, all right, so where a new leader coming in, can I look at the culture and add to its strengths, really build on that foundation of legacy and that heritage that they've done so well because they've been in place and the people there have believed in it. They've stepped into these roles. They've given their all for all these years. You don't want to go in and change that. So you find out what those pieces are that are so strong. And you as a leader see where you can supplement what's necessary. And that may be through technology. It may be through education. It may be through some leadership additions. It's really a job of supplementing. And, and that is so important because you come in, you lose credibility. But that balance then is, well, they, you know, they want you there. There was a the, the position was open or those needs were there. And so you need to figure out what those are and not wait too long to take that action. But I think you can really gauge that by listening to people and hearing them talk about what they think is their strength. And, and so many times you'll hear them talk about 
what their needs are, but they'll then talk about each other saying, well, I've been here for this number of years and what I really love about this place is my team or the company's taking good care of me over the years and, and I'm worried about that. And you give them an assurance that you're going to build on that at the same time you're looking to the future to position them for long-term success. I mean, that's our job. I think that is a sign of a good leader to be able to, to do that. The challenge though, having been a leader myself in the in healthcare systems, is that when you start to go around and round with people and talk to them and learn about their culture, you're also, you, couldn't, you can't help but kind of take inventory of all the things that absolutely need to change. There's so many things within the healthcare structure that seem to be very counterintuitive to other industries. And one in particular I want to talk with you about is we are traditionally sort of like a siloed organization. Health systems, they develop these departments, and these departments typically don't naturally work together. Have you found that to be the case, that these new leaders are struggling with this siloed mentality? There is some of that, exactly. And it's not just the new leaders, it's some of the other leaders that may have been there for a while that have built up what they see as the ideal area for them, but it may not coordinate as well with the other. Not out of of anything other than they want it to be the best for the area. Mm -hmm. But you're saying exactly right in terms of that need for coordination. As we know, most of the errors occur due to a handoff. So that's a breakdown in communication in, in hospitals and healthcare. I mean, that's what's been going on so much for the clinically integrated networks. It's a matter of coordinated care. It's so important. Bring in people from the outside. They may not know all the jargon. I see both sides of that. So they have to learn about their area, but they actually don't have the history either that is a siloed. So they can bring in that new perspective. If I take somebody from some of these other industries, they've always had to coordinate with others. And so bringing that idea, bringing that perspective in, helps the rest of us that have been in industry longer. Maybe we think we're coordinating really well, but here's another way to offer that option through technology, through the different things that we haven't used in in our industry for a long time because we were still operating just by email. Maybe there's a way you can do it in a Facebook type style that that communication everybody gets on together, uses technology, and you're saving time in meetings. You're also coordinating across the whole organization. And that's even going to the change in, in responsibilities, too. You've always had, again, that traditional stepping stone of where you are uh, mm-hmm. in your responsibility, what sites you oversee. A lot of systems I've been with are doing a great job in terms of expanding that role. So they, they're taking it and saying, you know, Matrix have, have been around for a while, but you're saying, all right, how do you as a team get incentivized to accomplish this with the patient in the center and you build infrastructure around them? And then you have that supplement of technology and then the people and these different perspectives to come up with the best answer. I love people coming in from the outside, but I love people that are already internal because you can take the best of both worlds and and work on that piece you're saying because that is a big issue because it is complex you can't know everything you have this depth of knowledge in your specific area mm-hmm. how do you translate that in your communication across these other siloed areas that don't need to be siloed don't mean to be siloed but it provides the best care that way by that enhancing that communication and back to the leader that's our job to set that forum up so we have that ability to coordinate And part of it would be you're setting up for that kind of cadence by setting, as you said earlier, the vision, but you have some specific goals around that. And so people know together what they're looking at. If everybody knows together what they're looking at, not too many metrics, not too many goals, but the key ones that move your organization forward and positioning for the future, that allows everybody then to coordinate together in that coordination. And, you know, as you talk about this, it does sound like a really exciting time. However, a little secret, Rodney, and you know this too, there are some leaders that are currently established within healthcare systems 
that may see that as a bit threatening, right? They may be resistant to that. Do you find that to be the case? I do. I do, Chris. There is, there is a number of people that are struggling with that, yes. And they are struggling and they're holding back the organization. There is mm-hmm. no way to go but to embrace that challenge and that new direction. And we've been talking about this change for a while, but it's, it's there and we're going to succeed long term. We've got to go back to the word embrace. We've got to embrace it. And those people that are struggling embracing it, their organization is going to suffer. They've got to figure out a way to change or, or obviously they'll, you know, somebody will get that change. And you've seen that happen in a lot of organizations across the country. New leaders are coming in at different levels. They may not have even had the, that level of responsibility in the past, but by coming in, they're doing the right things because they know at the level more of a, the operations or action level, they know what's needed, and then they get that broader perspective, and they don't lose sight of what they used to do at that you know, operational level for the vision for the future. Now, I know many people listening, and probably when I was describing this red, resistant leader, the one that's you know kind of likes the old old model, their mind went to physicians. Unfortunately, it's not a secret. Physicians can be a little bit resistant, but you're also noticing that physician leadership is also changing and moving across the organization. Tell us a little bit about what you've seen in your experience and your perspective on that. This is another incredibly exciting area going on in our industry. You have, as we know, our physicians have an incredible depth of knowledge in that specific specialty that they've, they've been working on for years. And a lot of us are looking at how do we put physicians in, in greater leadership roles. I've been mentoring a number of physicians, both advising them on their MBA, or I pick them out in the organization I'm in and, and begin to put, put them through different leadership example sessions, but also the practical side. Where, where can we place them within the hospital that gives them you know, intermediate experience so then they can begin to get a feel for things. Mm-hmm. So that depth of knowledge, though, and their command of the of the arena that they're in is a great skill but that doesn't always translate over to the the larger leadership side so Mm -hmm. if we were to take a surgeon we want them to be in control we want them to be in command when they're or people know their place we know exactly we're going through that patient's the center they're taking care of things that doesn't quite work the same when you're in a administrative or a, a different kind of leadership role there's times where you have to look at what are we how are we moving type thing but that need for facilitation and idea generation and being able to bring different people in the arena of ideas and then and hear from people and spend that 95% of your time listening and inspiring and being a source of energy. Those are just different skills that they haven't been able to hone over the years because they've been working in a different arena as, as physicians. Now, that is not all specialties, though, where I'm seeing a lot of the specialists and I've seen a lot of those become successful once they get the training. So it's just been exposure. So they have the capability, incredible knowledge, capabilities. So any physician I think can step in these roles with the right investment by us and by them. At the same time, some of the other specialties have already been working on that for years. So if you think about who facilitates conversation, who has to get different arenas of, of information from different types of specialties, you think of your ER physicians or your radiologists or your your anesthesiologists, they've been interacting for years, facilitating conversations, being able to skillfully have the more difficult conversations sometimes or provide input so they have a balance. They've got a little bit of a head start on some of these to be able to look at the direction of where they want to go in terms of their own career. Because you, you, in the past, you always had the traditional stepping stone. Did you do a department chair? Did you become uh, chief of staff? All those type of things. But now there's a lot of options. And what I see happening, which I really like, is you're stepping Physicians are stepping the service line lead. So that's the best of both worlds. They're 
bringing their knowledge and their specialty to the world of healthcare overall to see how can we better serve the patient? How can we set up the structure? How can we support operations and, and all the things that you want? At the same time, they're doing the, the strategic side as well with the support of business people. They begin to grow in that and, and some of them are doing it really well and some are, are doing really well with additional support and experience and they're, they're having a real impact on our healthcare overall. And that sets up incredibly well for the, their next step to go and run health systems. We have some physicians and, you know, obviously running hospitals and health systems already, but there's not a huge bank of physicians in the background that you can pull in right away because, again, they haven't had the time to get the experience and the investment. And we're all trying to do that to make sure we get the best of both worlds with their depth of knowledge and also their experience to step in these roles. And, I, mm-hmm. and some of the ones I've spotted throughout the organizations I've been, they are really, really accelerating their learning and they, they're incredibly talented already and knowledgeable. So getting that additional experience, we put them in these roles, give them some practical and they'll really help us change in the healthcare even more so than what we're going through. And last thing, I don't be too long winded here, but last thing is they have an incredible ability to learn and they're very technologically advanced as well. So they bring that overall, they bring that ability to organization and, and another, again, great perspective. So it's all these different pieces make us that much better because people have a different different view and different knowledge, different experience. It brings out the best in all of us. You know, what you're describing really uh, is, in a way, it's, it's addressing the way change management is occurring at the leadership level. And I've seen many organizations kind of address that in different ways where they, they try to develop a leadership style and tools and resources for the leaders to, to become more empowered and be able to grow out of their comfort zone, so to speak, for those, those leaders that are legacy. And then also find ways to draw the culture between the new entrants into this, into the leadership team. What have you seen in terms of uh, how healthcare organizations, all the organizations you've worked with, Rodney, is it more formalized? Is it a mix of formal approaches and informal approaches? What do, what do you see? I think we're doing all those things. Firstly, what I was trying to do is you look out throughout the organization, you say, where's some of our weaknesses or where's some of the needs we have? And then you look to see where the strengths of certain individuals are. And you think about, well, what's the time period where they can step in to help us with some of these weaknesses mm-hmm. and balance really the strengths of these individuals with the weakness of the organization to, to build the organization up overall. The way I've been seeing it happen is we've set up real formal programs through some of the organizations across the country, both on the physician side, physician leadership, uh, in-depth courses to, to some of the off-site retreats, mm-hmm. to us spotting them like I was just describing and saying, where can we give them some experience more intermediate on some of the, the needs of the organization? So we can test them out and they can test us out and they can begin to move up. I think, I mean, some are doing it better than others. Yeah. And I think what I see is that, that we're all doing it at some level. I, I have supported and the organizations I've been part of has supported uh, both the, the long term. So we'll have you know, 30 to, to 40 physicians going through where they're meeting every other week or every month and learning about finance or learning about, about performance appraisals, learning about leadership at all these different levels. Mm-hmm. And then some of our traditional medical staff physicians, we're sending them off to retreats or giving them some additional stuff online that they can look at as we're working them over slowly to, to pick up additional responsibilities outside their traditional leadership roles. And it's exciting because mm-hmm. they're, they're excited to, to take the next steps in their career too. And, you know, you think about some of the specialties that we have, they get tired, 
they you know they get run into injury and they retire we don't want that how do we take advantage of all those years of experience and apply them to to get the best out of the time period that they still want to be engaged and we need their help to make the organization again accelerate our, our ability to adapt to change and and a lot of times too I, I one of the places i set up a physician mentoring program so that they're able to provide those that have done it well in terms of leadership we've set aside purposeful time that they're able to work with some of the younger physicians on a mentor program to help them with their leadership decision making mm. stepping mm. into these roles so it opens up things a lot more for them too in terms of their future career which i think they're pretty excited about and it gives them a chance to to contribute in different ways. We started off talking about how exciting it is to be in this space at the time. And I think part of that excitement is because we're ready to embrace change. And what we're talking about here is change at, at a very fundamental level, the leadership level. If you make the change correctly, that change can cascade down into the organization. Just kind of looking forward, you know, how do you see this, uh, you know, are, are we going to continually be faced to faced with new changes and 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 so these abilities these leadership capabilities that we're describing they're going to be with us even though we may not know where the industry is headed is that fair to say that is so fair to say <laughs> and we need to continually invest in our people and, and harness their their gifts and skills to be able to adapt and provide the positioning for the future that makes us that more successful and just to your earlier point about people from the outside of the industry coming in i've seen people that have come in, retired uh, kindergarten teachers who come in and work in the ER as a tech or a clerk or a receptionist. Talk about a different, different perspective then of how they deal with, with the patient versus us that may have been more traditional. So mm -hmm. they provide those insights. I've seen other people come in that, that have, you know, a massage therapist that retired that came in and, and was working as a, on the supply chain side. Just a different, again, bringing in these different ideas, they have a different way of looking at that we can learn from them at the entry level as well as us of course looking across the organization overall and then when we institute these changes you know what these people have come from another industry have gone through changes there and now the new change so they they actually have a great ability to adapt to what we're trying to do because it's all new for them anyways and so they mm -hmm. have a great perspective and they by being peers to to us they offer us another way of of adapting to the change as well because of hmm. how they handle it. So I like this influx of new ideas, new people coming in at all different levels without losing that legacy side. Because again, that world of ideas, that harnessing of the different perspectives makes us that much better. And I think that will help us position ourselves even better for the future at whatever level. Mm -hmm. If you're bringing somebody from Disney at the digital technology level, that's a, a great perspective. If you're bringing somebody that actually is, is coming in again from from a different teaching level, then they can they can harness their ideas. You know, it's it's great to hear your perspective, Rodney. You really have a pulse on leadership within healthcare, having been there yourself for so many years, and it's inspiring to to hear that these these changes are occurring, and it reinforces the belief that I have that any kind of change, technology change, transformative change, uh, innovation, even embracing you know new entrants into the marketplace or consumerism, whatever it may be, it really rests on transforming your culture and the way you as an organization kind of show up. Yes. Thank you, Christy. We can do it. We can do this. This change is good. It's, it's awesome. We can make it happen. Yeah. You know, we, we brought in people from manufacturing and manufacturing has had a tough time. We brought them in and we put lean stuff in place. So we have so many people we can learn from 
there's so much going outside of our industry as well that we can have that knowledge of, oh, how are they doing it at this company, that company, and, mm-hmm. and space that isn't related to healthcare to learn from that we can apply. And I, I'm saying that because there's so much out there that we can take to learn to be that much better. We can do this stuff. We can do this stuff together. It's, it's an exciting time. This, this is not only the miracles we're, we're providing to our patients and our communities, but we have the ability to harness that. I'm using the word harness this morning because I'm just excited about this, but we can use that to position ourselves for that much more success in the future for, mm-hmm. for the organization itself, but, but the patients and the communities that we're a part of. We're an asset to the community. So how do we how do we make sure we're doing everything we need to make that asset the most valuable for its community? That's great and very inspiring. So Rodney, people that may want to reach out to you after they listen to this, I know you publish a lot of great information out there. What's the best way for them to find you online? You know, I have a, a website, rodneyprider.com or rodneyrider.com. And if you would like to, I you know can request me on that. Uh, on the website or, or send me an email, whatever. But I, mm-hmm. I appreciate the opportunity to talk with you, Chris, and with, mm-hmm. your, with your team. It's best yeah. time to be in healthcare. Today. Yeah, absolutely. Well, we'll definitely link to your website. We'll also link to your LinkedIn account because you do post some good stuff on LinkedIn as well. So really appreciate your time today, Rodney. Thanks for the conversation. It's great. I feel en- en- enthused and, and rejuvenated. Thanks, Chris. You're always great to speak with and you're good at bringing out our thoughts. So thank you very much. All right. Thanks so much again to Rodney Ryder for coming on the show. Appreciate his thoughts around leadership. I know it's a couple of months old, the interview, but uh, very relevant and uh, it's great. We've got a few more interviews actually that were pre-COVID coming up. So we've got a lot of good content in the can. So uh, be sure to stick around, stay tuned. Of course, we're just coming off the hills of the Shishmed Mayo Clinic Conference. If you participated and or listened in, I'd love to, love to hear what you thought about that. I think this will be the first virtual conference. That's right. Kind of as we move into the new normal a little bit. And so we'd love to, love to hear, hear what you thought. And uh, we've got other things coming up, certainly this fall, but so stay tuned for that. Plenty of webinars and all that kind of good stuff. Speaking of webinars, that's what they said, another show on the network. Uh, we've got a few shows coming out that are replays of some webinars around reputation management that they've done, so you can check those out. And uh, let's move into some recommendations. All right, Reed, I'll go first. I'm going to recommend a software program that I've been using for years, literally for years in producing this show, the Touchpoint Podcast, and that is GarageBand. Now, I'm a Mac guy, so GarageBand is a native app that's in the OS, in the Mac OS, and it is a sound editing tool. So it was called that because of the use by musicians of using it. You can hook up your equipment into here and you can actually record music right into this and do production. But a fair number of podcasters also use GarageBand as a tool. And that's what we've been using for a number of years. I love it. It's a great price point. It's free in your Mac. I mean, I guess you have to pay for a Mac. <laughs> In order to get it, right? But it's a great price point. And secondly, there's a huge online community of people that have solved various different things that I turn around and then try to solve when I produce. Like, for example, when you have a recording and, and the person on the other side of the interview, it sounds like they're calling from a bad phone call. 
Well, there are tools. There's actually preset user-generated patches that you can use to fix that to make it sound like an audio, a good audio-produced show. So I'm going to recommend GarageBand. It's, a, it's an old tried and true. I've been using it even before us doing this show, but definitely is a lifesaver. And I use it, I don't know, five or six times a week. That's my recommendation. Nice. I like it. It's good. Yeah, I use it uh, as I, you know, I'll use it uh, not as much as you do, but uh, if I record a voiceover for one of our commercials or something like that, it's great. And uh, my kids use it as well. Both both play musical instruments. And so I can plug in, they can record. We build different loops and stuff like that. It's pretty cool. All right. I'm going to recommend a book. Caveat here. I've actually not read it. It was recommended to me this past weekend. And I ordered it off Amazon as I was talking to the guy and it showed up yesterday. Can it show up on a Sunday? Anyway, it showed up in the last day or so. And I'm pretty excited to read it. Anyway, it's called Dispatches from Pluto. Oh. Lost and Found in the Mississippi Delta. So this is a New York Times bestseller book. And it's a it's a true story. It's written by a guy named Richard Grant. Uh, he's an award-winning author, journalist, etc. And he has a bunch of other books. But they compare it to Midnight in the Garden of Good and Evil with hunting mm. scenes in swamp-to-table dining. Whoa. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Sounds right up your alley. <laughs> yeah, but the, but the short of it is, is he and his girlfriend, uh, after doing all kinds of crazy adventures, decide to move to Pluto, Mississippi, which he describes as the most American place on Earth. <laughs> They bought a, a small little piece of land in an old plantation house to start a new life. And so through this, they learn how to hunt, fend off varmints. They befriend an astonishing array of characters, including catfish farmers, blues legends, eccentric millionaires, and even the actor Morgan Freeman. Should be really interesting. Obviously, if you're from the South, it would probably hit home a little more. Uh, I'm obviously from Mississippi, so it should be kind of interesting. The Mississippi Delta is a very unique place and a very interesting place. A huge musical, specifically blues, history there. But anyway, so it's called Dispatches from Pluto, Lost and Found in the Mississippi Delta. Mm, Interesting. All right. Well, that uh, concludes episode number 174 of Touchpoint. Again, as always, we appreciate your support, not only for this show, but the network as a whole, which is, I don't even know how many different shows at this point, uh, with even more coming this summer. So stay tuned for that. Uh, We certainly appreciate everything that you do for us. For Reed Smith, that is Chris Boyer, and we'll see you next week. This has been a Touchpoint Media production. To learn more about this show and others like it, please visit us online at touchpoint.health.